Our team at the Montana State News Bureau is back again at the Capitol following all the major action during the 90-day legislative session. From how Republicans navigate an historic supermajority to transformational decisions on spending billions in surplus and the fate of intense social bills. Listen here each week for everything you need to know about your state legislature. This is Big Sky Lead. Welcome back to Big Sky Lead and week four of the current legislative session. Uh, with me today is Seaborn Larson and Tom Kuglin of the Montana State News Bureau. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, the formation of a new caucus of legislators um, and what this session might hold for fish and wildlife bills. Uh, Seaborn, let's start with you and um, the newly minted Freedom Caucus. Um, what is it? You know, and what does it mean that Republican state lawmakers um, have formed this group? So last week we got our first look at the Montana Freedom Caucus. They're sort of a state counterpart to the uh, Congressional House Freedom Caucus. Um, I think those uh, that crowd kind of became more of a household name earlier this year when uh, we saw how they sort of disrupted the election for the Speaker of the House, uh, Kevin McCarthy. You know, that drug out for several days as, um, you know, these these uh, Congress people, um, you know, kind of sought to agitate the system so that they could uh, sort of get some concessions from the speaker on some rules that they had felt were um, unfair to, to members of Congress. This state Freedom Caucus uh, affiliate is, is part of this larger network, and I, I think it's sort of a rebranding uh, considering where some of these lawmakers come from. So, okay, so uh, to summarize that, what you're saying is is this new Montana Freedom Caucus is kind of uh, ideologically in line and congruent with what is more of a household name, the House Freedom Caucus in D.C., correct? Is that, is that my understanding there? This is know. kind of the Montana version? Yeah, absolutely. And um, these legislators are certainly... Um, you know, right of right, right in terms right. of the political uh, spectrum. Okay, so so who's in the Montana Freedom Caucus? Um, and, you know, are some of these members, what sort of power do they wield in the state legislature? So a lot of familiar names, if you've been paying attention to state politics the last couple of years, uh, Senator Teresa Manzella from Hamilton is the, is the chair of the Montana Freedom Caucus. Um, you know, she's flanked by Senator Barry Usher, who um, has been uh, sort of, you know, on top of policy committees for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. They've got Dan Bartell, who's also um, kind of a big name in the fiscal uh, side of the state legislature. Um, you know, none of these um, none of these members are. Uh, in the legislative leadership, but that's also kind of the point. Mm -hmm. They don't uh, really see themselves as, um, you know, the people who are running the show. In fact, they're, they're more anti-establishment. Right. They're more of a resistance to the Republican establishment, right? Absolutely. And so, um, you know, you kind of see in, in, in where they fit in in state politics and I think in national politics is, you know, some of these set, uh, lawmakers were prominent in calls to investigate the 2020 election over the last two years. Um, we also see a lot of 
you also see a lot of these state lawmakers who attended the uh, Red Pill Festival in St. Regis back in 2021, and that that was really more of a forum just for kind of a free flow of uh, conspiracy theories, you know, along with um, the election uh, security claims and the sort of anti-vax crowd. Um, mm-hmm. There's just a lot of lot of um, really strong anti-government sentiment at that event, and so. Um, I think, like I said, in terms of rebranding, this uh, Freedom Caucus kind of gives them a a new banner to uh, stand below rather than kind of terms that have become more prominent like election deniers. Can you run through a little bit? I know the night that they, this, you know, that we kind of covered their their announcement, um, they went through some of their policy stances. Mm -hmm. Can you go through some of those um, and just kind of give us a blueprint for what you know, what sort of policies they're, they're seeking and hoping for. Absolutely. And a lot of them, um, you know, touch on national issues and then some of them, uh, come right out of sort of the, the, um, state policy, uh, fights we've had over the last couple of years. So there's, um, you know, election security is one that I think is going to hang tight with this, uh, group. Uh, parental rights Mm -hmm. is another one that, uh, they raised last week when they, um, had their official, um, launch event. Uh, you know, and then if you look at um, sort of stateside, uh, there's a lot of mistrust in the GOP um, against the judicial branch right now. And so um, so the judicial integrity uh, is is another thing that they've picked up and really run with. Um, And we're we're starting to see um, sort of a second round in Republican policymaking at um, sort of reshaping the judiciary to what um, I think Republicans this session are saying isn't isn't necessarily a strike at the judicial branch as much as it is intended to um, sort of in, instill some fairness in the judicial process. So th- those are a couple things that they hit on that I think uh, really resonated with the crowd that was at the old Supreme Court chambers at the Capitol last week. Right. So what are we going to, you know, what do we expect um, now that this group, uh, you know, has officially declared itself as a faction um, both under but separate from the greater GOP um, at times? Um, Yeah, you know, lawmakers on this caucus told me that um, they don't necessarily see their formation as necessarily drawing a line between them and the the greater GOP caucus. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in order for this group to um, take a public stance on something, it would require 80% of the caucus members to um, vote in unison on that. So I don't expect um, to see these lawmakers really disagree on too much, frankly. I think they've kind of already bundled themselves up into a, into a group that's like-minded on a lot of these issues. Right. Um, so really I think what, what I'm waiting to see is where this, where this caucus will emerge in terms of you know where they will kind of try to strategically uh, disrupt things like the like their um, congressional counterparts, again in Montana we have a supermajority uh, that um, you'd think might run the show fairly cleanly, but this, several times this session we've seen uh, splits in the in the Republican Party that um, kind of threatens the the unity of that supermajority, and so um, how the Freedom Caucus. Um, Will will play a role in that? I think is is something I'm certainly watching out for. I I don't think um, you know they're going to necessarily agitate the system. I don't think I don't think we're going to see something like uh, the delays in the Speaker of the House vote. But um, certainly these are these are some pretty key players in the state legislature that we've seen 
the last couple of years. And then um, one other thing is, you know, in announcing their caucus, the Freedom Caucus also said there was, um, you know, they, they gave us a roster of 14 members. Right. Right. Uh, you know that that were out there with their names publicly about but um, there's, their membership. There's unlisted, unpublic members, right? Or and at they, least that's they, how they were. They made note of that. Yeah, exactly. On their um, on their initial um, statement that there are members who didn't wish to be identified, and so I'm curious to see if there will be um, more names kind of added to that list publicly as we go forward in the session, or um, if there's we're going to find out kind of who's working behind the scenes on right. behalf of this caucus. Right. And, hey, we had um, Congressman Matt Rosendale yeah. was on hand for that event that we're talking about. Can you tell us, you know, you interviewed him. What is, you know, and he is he is a vocal uh, mm-hmm. a member of the House Freedom Caucus, the national one. Um, what's the link there between, you know, the D.C. Freedom Caucus and the Montana Freedom Caucus? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think um, the things they talked more about last week were sort of an extension of resources and education from the uh, Congressional or the House Freedom Caucus to the to the state caucuses in that in that network. And so and that that has about a dozen states in it um, with uh, localized freedom caucuses. And so education and resources, whether that is, uh, you know, sending folks to Montana who can testify with some expertise on legislation or um, people who come from different fields that can kind of help um, propel policy a little bit. I was really curious to see if the uh, Freedom Caucus is going to um, start taking, you know, roles in um, seeing who emerges from primaries, if we start seeing a little more Republican on Republican warfare in the primaries with mm-hmm. the, the presence of this new group, and then um, whether fundraising uh, will become a big part, campaign finance becomes well, a part of uh, the Freedom Caucus kind of apparatus. Yeah, and, and in your chats with Senator Barry Usher, who I believe is the treasurer or Correct. vice chair, treasurer, uh, yeah. treasurer of the caucus, he didn't really know what role the the caucus was going to take, whether it was going to be a PAC, whether it was going to be involved in campaigns C- or not. Yet, yeah. Right. In so, and that uh, is specific to the to the finance question here, if campaign uh, money is going to start flowing around this network. And uh, he said that's um, not really clear yet. And to be fair, uh, Congressman Rosedale said the same thing when I asked him that question. Right. Uh, Usher still, however, um, kind of made a pitch to the crowd that they are taking pledges right now. Um, I don't I don't think they've officially set up um, any sort of pack or bank account yet to, to do this. But um, I think with that, Pitch to the crowd that night. It certainly seems likely there will be a fundraising arm. I fully expect what those funds will be raised for is still remains to be seen. Fully expect that to happen. Right. And now, so you know, just to kind of wrap this up, um, this—I mean—is this just a rebranding of the same people and the same policies that we've seen um, in former sessions? You know, because this isn't like. I guess my question is, this isn't a drastic change in the way these people, these legislators vote or the policies they bring, um, but now they've got a name for it? Certainly, I think there is some history there in terms of, you know, we had the 38 special group right. um, in the state legislature several several years ago. Um, I think that group is a little bit bigger and uh, maybe had a little bit more, um, you know, percentage of the Republican caucus. 
now um, with this 2023 legislature and the supermajority that's in it with the Republican Party, um, early in the legislature, we got a good look at, um, you know, who's who's willing to at least vote with the moderates. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was over a rules fight that um, we that saw happened in the one. first week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so with uh, sort of the lines drawn that early, um, I think this group may be smaller, but um, perhaps a little more hardline in their views. Right. I, I would not expect to see any of these uh, lawmakers kind of voting either across the aisle or with uh, the moderates. And so um, whether or not they want to say that this has drawn any further lines within their party is, um, you know, for them to say. But uh, certainly once we start looking at this group as a voting block, it's it's going to become a little more clear um, in terms of in terms of how much power they actually can wield in a, in a majority that's got um, a lot of factions within it already. Right, right. Um, so Tom, let's, let's jump over to you. Um, and before we jump into your recent reporting from this session, uh, let's give listeners a summary of what we saw come out of the 2021 session, um, with regards to these fish and game bills, because there were some pretty major changes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think, um, that's how I've come into this session is really, um, trying to, look at it within the context of what we saw in 2021 um, and over the last two years, um, sort of what those bills meant. So, um, you know, you have 16 years of, of a Democratic governor who appoints the head of Fish, Wildlife and Parks, as well as the Fish and Wildlife Commissioners. Um, you have a Republican doing that um, for the first time in a long time. And, you know, you're going to see some changes, right. certainly in changes in approach. Um, and in 2021, we saw a lot of bills that dealt with, um, you know, predators, specifically um, wolves. We saw bills that dealt with um, elk. We saw bills that dealt with um, outfitter Land licensing, landowner licensing. So um, there was uh, there were some bills that moved through, and um, you know, certainly all the predator stuff moved through sort of the normal process where mm-hmm. we saw efforts to um, expand. And, and um, wolf hunting and trapping and, and to re- try to reduce wolf numbers. That's the directive of the legislature at this point. Right. And, we, and, and you know, to, to, make it, to make it simple, we saw a lot of um, policy changes that Republicans have sought, mm-hmm. um, and they finally made it through because they had a friendly signature in the governor's office, right? I, that certainly is fair. And, and you know, um, Governor Gianforte is a trapper and um, um, as we all know, he trapped a wolf um, sort of during this time period um, that um, he didn't hadn't taken the correct class beforehand. So, I mean, it, there was sort of a, a, a simmer that I think Republicans had, and, you know, we just sort of saw, saw that blow up. And so we had some, you know, really raucous hearings and, and stuff over that. Um, and then we had more of a mainstream discussion, which was about, elk mm-hmm. and license allocation. Mm-hmm. And um, I think an important thing to think about, too, is this is all occurring during COVID as we're having this explosion of hunt- of recreation. We're having this huge influx of people move in right. to Montana. We're having land ownership changes that have been happening for a long time, all of a sudden ampl- really amplify right. where you had traditional egg properties become amenity properties for the wealthy. Right. Um, and 
so we're having all this happen all at the same time. And so we had bills. We had a bill that um, w- would have undone a basically a citizen's initiative, which did away with landowner sponsor or sorry, excuse me, outfitter sponsored licenses. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have allocated that um, a certain percentage of non-resident big game combination licenses would go to non-res or non-residents who booked with an outfitter. Right. Um, that died. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Senate, didn't make it out. Um, at the very end, we saw not exactly the same version, but basically what happened was because of this huge surge in interest in hunting in Montana, um, we saw the license draw, which is capped at a certain number, 17,000, all of a sudden go from what was almost a guaranteed draw a few years earlier to maybe a 50 or 40% draw. Right. Outfitter said, well, okay, this is my, my business is going to go under cause I can't draw clients. Mm-hmm. Um, so the outfitters came in hard on that. Um, and at the end they did a, basically a one time and this all happened in what's called a free conference committee. So it happened at the last minute, um, as an amendment mm-hmm. and went through and the governor signed it, but it gave a one-time license to hunters who had booked with an outfitter. Um, I think they sold about 1500 of those, if I recall, they also changed the non-resident draw system. So if you book with an outfitter, you could pay extra and you could get an extra bonus point. So you have an advantage over the do it yourself hunter, right? Right. Or somebody who's hunting with family or something like that. Um, you also had a bill from who was speaker of the house, in 2021, it was Wiley Galt, who's a rancher, big ranch family, mm-hmm. um, White Sulphur, Martinsdale area. Um, brought a bill that um, uh, really was a hard bill for, I think, everybody involved because it really stirred up a lot of tough feelings, I think. Um, that bill um, would have allowed landowners to have certain non-resident licenses in areas mm-hmm. um, and be able to distribute them as they saw fit. Right. Um, that's been kind of a red line for uh, that. That does occur in other states, but that's been kind of a red line for um, for people in Montana um, who uh, push back across this notion of monetizing and, and what they say is privatizing wildlife. Right. So, um, with all that in mind, um, we came out of the 2021 session, I think, with um, you know a lot of animosity, probably some anger. Right. Um, on the sides of a lot of the public hunting groups. Right. That continued into the regulation setting process. Which um, was when? Well, every two years, Fish, Wildlife, and Parks and the Commission set hunting regulations, basically. And um, the new administration came in and they said, um, you have this issue of elk overabundance that's called objectives. Right. Um, and so you had this idea that um, the administration rolled out that would have allowed areas where there's an over objective of elk and special permits that basically permits would be unlimited. It would just be an over-the-counter take on private land, but Mm -hmm. public land hunters would be left in the draw. Right. Um, That did not go over well, and we saw a lot of animosity over that. Um, They pulled the plug on it at the last minute. Um, The commission still passed some changes. There was a lot of confusion. Um, so, and then on top of that, um, we had, you know, these very contentious meetings over the, over, over the wolf stuff because of what the legislature and the commission did. So we had this, you know, huge controversy 
north of Yellowstone Park. Um, that has since been sort of scaled back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, new wolf policies that people questioned about fair chase. Um, and so I, that's a lot of background, but I think it's important to understand that we've spent the last two years in pretty high tension right, right. Um, over fish and wildlife issues. Um, and, you know, I'm not mentioning every bill that we went through or every regulation that was passed either. So, right. Um, no, you kind of set the scene. I mean, you, you, you like it, it was it, since the last session, it's been a time of, you know, a lot of, con- uh, you know, conflict mm-hmm. um, between, you know, public, private groups, conservationists, you know, and the policymakers. Um, so there's a little bit different tune this session that we're seeing, right? Um so, er, so we came into the session sort of with the unknown we have in every session of exactly what all these bill titles are. Okay. So basically lawmakers can request a, a bill title, and a lot of those are called placeholders. So there's not like a text that comes in with it saying like, um, I want to have a bill that, you know, does X, Y, and Z. Some of them are just a placeholder bill. So we had really a lot of those this session um, and a lot of those on fish and wildlife issues. So um, I spent a lot of time talking to interest groups and lawmakers who had brought things in the past and sort of tried to get a gauge on sort of what what are we going to look at? Are we going to have another sort of session of fireworks? Hot topics. Yeah. Um, and really what I heard was that, um, you know, we, we did, especially on the Republican side, we did all this in, in 2021. Um, we accomplished what we had wanted to accomplish for a long time, um, you know, for better or for worse, whether you agree with it or not. Um, and, you know, we're going to, we don't have a lot, of, we don't have this huge agenda like we did. Right. Say, we got, like, we were productive last time. We got everything done. Week. Yeah. So, so far what I've heard is that, um, you know, we, it could be a little quieter, could okay. be a little more subdued than we saw before. Right. Um, there's also been some pretty interesting things that have happened. Um, we had a, a big collection of um, sort of interest groups come together in what's been called the Montana Citizens Elk Management Coalition. Mm-hmm. Um, they held like a symposium and they've sort of have rolled out their recommendations on, you know, ways to deal with with elk hunting in a state that's got all these pressures on it. And that we kind of heard, we heard that on Tuesday's event, right? The elk camp at the Capitol. Yeah. Which was hosted by that coalition. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, and we'll get to that in just a second, but um, just to sort of set the scene a little bit more. Okay. Um, you know, they have sat down with, um, you know, certain lawmakers. Um, there has been a lot of effort, it appears, to reach more of a coalition and try to mend some of those bridges between, say, like the outfitters groups and the public hunter groups and maybe the administration even. Right. Um, so um, people I talked to said, yeah, you know, w- this is our, – our belief is we're going to see more consensus. We're going to see more coalition building, that we're not going to see these differences, which I think are still there. It's right. politics after all. Right. And it's a it's sensitive stuff for, for especially in a state like Montana. Um, but we might not see as much of that spill out into the committee's like we did in 2021. Um, you know, we have seen 
more of I, I would I would say you know more of the environmental side of it. Um, you know, wolf advocacy groups and um, trapping opponents have certainly been out in force, um, even in some early build hearings. You know, really pushing back on some stuff, mm-hmm. um, and you know, trying I think to to continue to push um, their message that you know what happened last time is was egregious and what what they think is going to happen this time um, will continue to be so. Right. Um, but we haven't seen, um, you know, sort of this wide coalition of groups come in and just, you know, testify for two hours on bills on elk or wolf so far. Mm-hmm. So, um, so far it has been a little quieter. Um, but groups are saying, you know, we are going to remain vigilant because you just don't know when, when things are going to drop in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, there are certainly a lot of interesting bills out there. I think things that are going to get attention. Um, Senator Brad Molnar from Laurel, who's uh, very outspoken and will buck the party line a lot of times with things. Um, he has bills um, dealing with crossbows and archery season, which has always been a, a, a hot button issue mm-hmm. for as long as I've been dealing with this stuff, and certainly before that even. So he's going to try the crossbows again this session like he did last? Um, he does. He's got another bill that will – he wants to move the Fish and Wildlife Commission from a governor-appointed body to an elected body. He thinks that will moderate it. I think there's a difference of opinion on that from folks I've talked to. Um, and it would also require Greg Gianforte to sign the bill, um, which would – um, cede some of his power. Right. So, um, you know, I don't think Molnar's ever been afraid of putting a bill out there to send a message, and, and this might be the case here. Okay. Um, but it is something he believes in, certainly, and, and you know, something I reported on. Um, you know, Democrats have a lot of interesting priorities. Um, I think we'll see um, Representative Jill Konar bring some more bills dealing with technologies creeping yep. to hunting. Yep. I'm trying to put some um, guardrails on trail cameras and selling images for a profit mm-hmm. or location data. Um, and I think we're going to see some some bills from people like um, Marilyn Marler from Missoula, um, Tom France from Missoula, all Democrats that um, you know are going to try to push back on some of the more unpopular things possibly that came out of last session. I think there's going to be an effort to um, have, an, have the hearing again on a program at Montana State Prison to raise and release pheasants, mm-hmm. um, which was super controversial mm-hmm. and continues to be so. Right. Um, so all that's been going on. But, um, yeah, did, did you want to talk about elk camp yesterday? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of an opportunity for some of this consensus that, you're, that you've been observing and reporting was kind of rolled out um, in the flesh, right, uh, this gathering at the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what were people saying? What were the speakers talking about? Um, yeah, so um, we, we, you know, were invited to this event, and uh, we went and checked it out. And, um, you know, we've seen, I guess, similar events like this before where, you know, everybody shows up in camo and hunter's orange and, you know, rallies for for hunting and access and things like that. Um, this one was pretty unique, um, I think, in the in those that sort of spirit. Um, it was hosted by the Elk Coalition along with uh, MOGA, the Montana Outfitters and Guides Association, and um, they were there to un- unravel a bill package mm-hmm. that they had negotiated and reached a consensus. And we had a Democrat and Republican lawmaker there. Um, and, you know, they even invited the governor to speak, somebody who they've had. And he did speak. He did speak. And, you know, he's had disagreements with 
these groups, and I think they've attacked him politically, but um, he he came out and he spoke, and you know there was a lot of uh, a lot of talk about um, trying to collaborate and move forward uh, on some of this consensus stuff. Um, we could talk a little bit about the bill if you want, or do you want to talk yeah. a little bit more about the event? Well, yeah, I mean, I think before we get to the bill, do you have any thoughts on on you know this event kind of being you know, a physical embodiment of this consensus. I mean, you've got, yeah. you've got, you know, some of these folks, like you said, in the audience that, you know, two years ago uh, would have been yelling at the governor. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, he was invited to speak and was welcome to speak. Yeah. And, um, you know, I want to be clear. I, I don't know that everybody, I don't think those wounds are healed. Right. Um, I don't know if this, show of collaboration is going to sustain. Right. And nobody We don't know until does. the end of the session if it does. Um, yeah. There were certainly people I spoke to who were not pleased that the governor was invited. They felt like um, he was rewarded for um, efforts that were not popular among you right. know, a lot of the sporting community. So right. um, that there was that sentiment there. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, I think he's going to be who has to sign the bill, right? So, um, well, like I said, it's going to be really interesting to see if this can sustain through an entire session. Well, um, it, it, we're in the first weeks of the session, and you can have this. Um, somebody described it as the kumbaya moment, right? Um, I don't know if it was quite that, but um, you know, people people were there to to say we've done this work. We sat down. Um, this is what unites us, and we're here to support that. So we'll see what happens. So what did this, you know, before we wrap up here, what, what did the what did the legislation look like that they rolled out or that they, you know, are proposing? Yeah, so it would be some changes to the non-resident um, licenses and then also changes to um, landowner preference. Um, so there's been this sort of sentiment among landowners in special dry areas that they aren't able to get licenses to hunt their own property. Um, some of this legislation would deal with that. It would it would say like a certain percentage of the non-resident draw would be moved into a landowner preference pool. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would have an advantage in the draw. Um, another part of it would uh, make some changes to the 454 permits we've heard about. It would right. basically say like if you have a bull elk license as a landowner that you receive that you have to let at least one public hunter hunt a bull as mm-hmm. well. Um, that was a source of contention. Um, and then, you know, there's some interesting things on um, sort of balancing penalties for landowners or people that block roads, for example, illegally. Um, that would move under a hunter harassment statute, but then also trespassing statutes would um, increase penalties for that sort of thing. And then we saw support for stuff like education and um, uh, block management, which, um, you know, people are, and lawmakers are really behind. So, um, you know, maybe not the hardest hitting bills, but I mean, they did get into, you know, some pretty, pretty weedy stuff that I think people think is going to at least improve the situation and, and move forward. In yeah, some maybe sort not of a productive way. Right. Maybe not heavy hitters, but certainly stuff that is going to directly affect hunters and, and, you know, sportsmen out there. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, deal with what, what the concerns are, which is a rising number of hunters crowding on private public lands, 
um, elk congregating on private lands. Um, you know, the, there's so, it's such a multifaceted issue, and every situation is a little unique too. That um, it, it's going to be interesting to see if this can move forward. But I think the fact it does have sort of bipartisan support at this point um, and consensus among groups that don't always get along. Right. Um, you got to think it's got a better chance than than you know some of like the the more partisan right and and, and more difficult issues that you know I, I think we'll still see some bills. There's bills on grizzly bears that we'll see. I don't know what we'll see on wolves. Um, I would be shocked if we didn't see something on elk. Oh, but yeah. I don't know what what exactly that looks like. So okay. it might be this package of bills. It could be something a little more out there. So we'll we'll keep keep an eye out though. Yeah, we'll wait and see. All right, folks, that's all we got for this week. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tom.